0: Hello and welcome to Rad Mom Radio, a podcast dedicated to moms and all their favorite topics. My name's Natalie and I'm your host. Hello and welcome back to Rad Mom Radio. Thank you for joining me for another episode. I have a really great episode to share with you today. It is with a mom out of Plano, Texas named Deanna Schober. Deanna is a business owner and a podcaster, and this was just a really great conversation. So, you know, I've been kind of wanting to sort of narrow down my niche as far as podcasting goes, and I was looking for moms of neurodivergent kids or moms who are themselves neurodivergent. And that's how I found Deanna. And so Deanna is diagnosed with ADHD. And she also has a little boy named Austin that is diagnosed with autism. Deanna hosts a podcast with her husband, Tony called Fitness and Sushi. It's kind of talking about how to love your body, how to take care of it, how to honor it and give it what it needs and how to stop focusing on all of the, I guess the, the societal metrics that we often look at when it comes to what health is, what, what beauty is and all that kind of stuff. So I absolutely 100% recommend checking out their podcast. It's called fitness and sushi. They cover some really great topics and it's very, it's a very different look at what fitness and health is. So definitely recommend it. I'm a big fan of that podcast. So I would say in general, like what we mostly focused on in this episode is talking about how in motherhood, it is very common for moms to fall off of their own list of priorities. And especially I would say with moms of special needs children, there is a hypervigilance that I think a lot of us understand that Deanna and I talked about in this episode of how like kind of like you're always on your brain never stops and it's just anxiety and preparing for the worst all the time and so I think in the midst of that it's really common for moms to stop taking care of themselves stop thinking about their even their most basic needs in the rush to meet everybody else's needs and so I would say that's like a majority of what we talked about. We talked about you know Deanna's diagnosis of ADHD and how that kind of impacts her as a mom and we talked about how she encourages other moms to prioritize themselves and how she has learned how to do that for herself. So definitely check out this episode. Deanna is Such a nice, down-to-earth, easy-to-talk-to person. You can find out more about what she does on her website. It's builtdaily.com. And like I said, the podcast she hosts with her husband, Tony, is called Fitness and Sushi. You can find that wherever podcasts stream. You can also find her on Instagram. But yeah, this is a great episode, great conversation. Thank you so much, Deanna, for your time and all of your wisdom and insight really appreciate it and this is my interview with Deanna hi Deanna welcome to rad mom radio thank you so much for having me I'm so excited to talk to you yeah happy to have you here today so We have a lot of things that we could talk about. So I'm going to work really hard at trying to like pull it in and keep it, (laughs) keep it organized and understandable for people listening. So before we get into everything, I have a couple of icebreaker questions for you. Okay. And so my first one is based on the name of your podcast that you co-host with your husband, Tony, because it's called Fitness and Sushi which is a super cute name for a podcast. But then it made me it made me think, like, what is your favorite sushi roll?
1: My favorite sushi roll is not a roll. It's a burrito. It's Ooh. like this. Have you ever seen the Superman? Or, like, a, I think a lot of times it's called, like, a, a sushi burrito. Where okay. it's not a roll. It's, like, a hunk of sushi. <laughs> like this is a giant a giant experience of sushi because I'm very extreme with my Mm -hmm. sushi. (laughs) It needs to be like as sushi ish as possible, just jammed into my mouth. (laughs) Mm.
0: Yeah. I don't, I think I've heard of those. I don't think I've ever seen one.
1: Oh, they're so good. sounds, Sounds
0: pretty great though. Yes. My favorite. And then my other question comes from my, like my podcast guest intake form that I had you fill out you said that one of your favorite things to do is to binge watch Bravo. Yes, And I'm a huge fan <laughs> of reality TV. Okay,
1: so good. <laughs> yeah.
0: So I was curious, what's your favorite show to binge
1: watch on Bravo? Oh, so usually it's real housewives, like all of them, mm-hmm. but Beverly Hills mm-hmm. is my favorite. But right now with Scandaball, Like I'm obsessed with Vanderpump Rules because you're watching, I saw somebody say it's like watching The Sixth Sense knowing that like the guy is dead
0: (laughs) and like you, and
1: you watch it again and and you see it completely differently. That's how I feel watching Scandival right now is like, you know, that there was cheating happening, you know, that there was like how this ends and you're seeing the lead up to it and it's just mind blowing, so That's I'm obsessed with that right now, which is super embarrassing. So I'm glad that you also (laughs) (laughs) like Bravo. Yeah. Well, I I haven't seen that. I've
0: seen like some of the Vanderpump rules, but I've, I'm trying to get to the point where like, stop apologizing for loving reality TV because I've always loved it. Like since survivor came out, like I feel like that's when reality TV really blew up and I've always loved it and it's trashy or whatever, but like, there are worse things to you
1: know, to be into. Sometimes you can't be serious and like mm-hmm. you know you've got to have a little bit of balance. And I agree with you 100. Mm-hmm. I I need yeah. I also need to stop apologizing for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Well, I wonder too because we were just talking before we started recording about dopamine. I wonder if that's a dopamine oh,
1: yes. hit. 100%. Yeah. 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 It's it's like watching a train wreck. <laughs> I mean, it's mm-hmm. just like it's exciting. It's fascinating and yeah it's it's definitely mm-hmm. a dopamine release for me at least when i watched yeah. it i don't know if it would be for everyone
0: yeah i was actually i was catching up on real housewives in new jersey this morning
1: mm-hmm. which is just
0: crazy like it's yeah. always crazy but um yeah i'm a huge fan of the housewives mm-hmm. so i was wondering too like what happened to new york we haven't seen new york in
1: forever. I know I well the, their last couple of seasons I thought were terrible I just it was I felt like it was really sad like mm-hmm. it, there was I felt like there was alcoholism running rampant through that group and yeah. I was feeling really sad watching that one it mm-hmm. wasn't like an escape for me it was like I wanted to help them like help them yeah like I need to turn that off when I'm watching TV so they did yeah. a revamp and there's a new there's a brand new cast coming so I'm I'm gonna try it and see what happens okay
0: okay yeah, I've been wondering, cause I feel like their last season was like the beginning of the pandemic yeah, or the first year. So that was, was. strange. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So kind of switching over from, you know, reality TV to real life. Um, can you tell us a little bit about you, like your family and your work and your podcast?
1: Yes. Um, Well, so I am. Oh, what do I start? I I'm a mom. I, think um most importantly since this is rad mom radio i am a mom of four kids my oldest is 24 i have also a 20 year old a 16 year old and a nine year old every mm-hmm. single one of those kids is somewhere on the neurodiversity spectrum um ranging from autism to adhd i also was just diagnosed last august with adhd myself so we have a super neurodiverse house I am a coach. My husband and I own, I never know what to call it. It's like, it feels Mm -hmm. more like life coaching, but our, our main focus is health and fitness. And really our main focus is healing from diet culture. You know, Mm -hmm. I think that everyone in this day and age is becoming more and more aware of how unhealthy our relationship with our bodies and with food and exercise has been for, you know, forever. Mm -hmm. And we're just starting to wake up to that my husband and I actually woke up to that ourselves, some somewhere around 2011, when we got married. And it was we were both struggling with our eating habits with our body relationship, my husband actually started bodybuilding when he was like 12 years old, and he got so much attention for it. And, you know, starting at a really young age, which really reinforced a lot of your your body is your worth to him, which Mm -hmm. is I think, Kind of unusual for a guy, yeah. um, at least to the extreme that it was with him. And I, you know, it was just a typical teenage girl who was obsessed with like the societal ideal. I never mm-hmm. really struggled with my weight, you know, not really. Like I look back, and I, I always thought that there was something wrong with me, and I always wanted to be more and more like the role models that I was seeing on TV and around me. You know, you mentioned. That you liked reality TV, you know, like back when Survivor came out. I was like obsessed with The Real World when it first came out in the '90s. And so there was they they were my role models back then. We were when we came together. I was a yo-yo dieter. I had been always just gaining weight, losing weight, gaining weight, losing weight. I had been divorced with three kids when I met my husband. I was a single mom. And was coming out of another yo-yo cycle where I had just lost the weight and i was starting to gain it back. Mm -hmm. And then I met him and he was single guy, never been married living in overseas in Afghanistan. And I was really insecure coming out of my divorce and I was a mom and here's this hot guy. And what is he, why is he interested in me? And I need to like stay fit. And we started dating and it became, he was like, he was still really into bodybuilding, but he would do these obsessive diets where he would lean out for like a period of time. Mm -hmm. And then he would just be like, you know, Hey, let's have a cheat weekend or let's cheat on our, on our diets for just for tonight. And then we would go and we would have these like epic benches together. Mm -hmm. And I started to realize that, he definitely like, he definitely had something going on. Like this didn't seem, it was in line with what I already was doing, kind of the yo-yoing the back and forth, but it was so much more extreme. And so we mm-hmm. eventually came to the, well, it we was eventually self-diagnosed with binge eating disorder. Mm-hmm. He would lean out and then he would gain 30 pounds in 30 days mm-hmm. just like that because he would binge every single night which was just more of like an extreme version of what I had been doing for years and years and years. And so through that process, we started to kind of explore together our relationship with food. That's not what we called it back then. We were just like, "What in the world is going on here and how mm. can we stop? This is exhausting. Yeah. He was miserable. He was physically uncomfortable. He was, his health was poor because of this, because of the ups and downs. I was obsessed with maintaining my body. I didn't feel like, I was setting a great example for my daughters, really, or my ki- any of my kids. And so we started to heal together. Mm. While we were doing that, we had the number one weight loss blog on Google called Coach Calorie. Like we mm. ranked at the top of Google. We had hundreds of thousands of followers on Facebook. He had millions of website visitors. That's and nice. we're realizing at the same time that the stuff that we're putting out there is the stuff that was harming us, the stuff that Mm -hmm. we were teaching other people and coaching other people was diet culture. Mm -hmm. It was buckle down and lose weight at any cost. And being fit is the only way to be healthy. And just a, a lot of that, that stuff is, you know, embarrassing, I think now knowing what I know, but also we didn't know any better. Mm -hmm. And so as we started to realize this, we walked away from that brand and we walked away from all those people. We sent out like a big email saying we're changing. We don't believe in this anymore. We're going to start helping people to heal their relationship with food, body, exercise and mind. So they don't have to go through these extremes, the yo-yo cycle that we had gone through because we were seeing it with our clients We were seeing Mm -hmm. them go through it too, and it it just didn't feel right. So we pivoted, and now that's what we do is to heal that relationship. And that's what our our podcast is about too: fitness and Mm -hmm. sushi. That's awesome. Yeah. How long ago
0: did you guys make that shift?
1: About five years ago, I think. Okay. Yeah. So we've been. We Coach Calorie came into existence in 2011. So we've been doing this for 12 years, and it's only in the last five where we walked away from macros and meal plans and calorie mm. counting and weighing and all mm-hmm. those things that are tools of dieting. We don't do any of those things anymore. As a matter of fact, we encourage our clients to not like to get rid of those things and we help them to do what we did, the healing process, the same healing process that we did. We facilitate that for them, deprogram diet culture and help them to get consistent with what it is that with their health. So they can actually, mm-hmm stop the yo-yo diet cycle and actually reach their healthiest body, their healthiest weight for them.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like I was telling you before you, before we started recording, I love your podcast. Like I just started it this morning, but like you talk about a lot of things that I think are really cool. And one of them that you kind of just touched on is like your ideal body. So like there isn't an ideal body, which is what we've, I guess that's diet culture is like, you know, the the thin body or whatever, but it's your ideal body. I think sort of the way you said it is like when you're doing all these things, when you're honoring your body, giving it what it needs, exercising the right way, and you've got like all of that together, like your mindset and everything, like that's your ideal body. And I really like that because it's not – a lot of times – it's very confusing because people will tell you what your ideal body is. and It's like, but you don't live in my body, you know? Right. I don't know what my ideal body is. So how are you going to say what my ideal body is? And uh-huh. I know as a kid, like I struggled with my weight my whole life. But I remember as a teenager, all of my friends were skinny. My mom is little. And so it was just, I felt like it was just small women around mm-hmm. me all the time. And I remember, you know, those charts that'll say like, for every inch over five feet, a woman should be like five pounds per inch. So if you're like five two, you should be 110 pounds. (laughs) I remember, (laughs) I remember as a teenager, like at 14 years old, being like 140 pounds. And I see pictures, and I was slender. Yeah. But in my mind, all I could think about was that I was like 10, 15. 20 pounds overweight. And mm-hmm. still at that, I still had friends that were under that doctor's yeah. recommendation weight. So all I could think about was how my weight is just never enough. I think I used to fantasize about being able to like, and that sounds weird, but like remove parts of myself, you know, just to be that weight. Just so my mind would be quiet. You know, like if I could just pull my arm off, (laughs) you know, I would be a hundred and whatever, 20 pounds. So, so I really love that you guys talk about like, what is your ideal body weight based on you taking care of yourself?
1: Exactly. It's not societal's ideal. Mm -hmm. It's because that's always changing anyways. Like when I Mm -hmm. was a teenager, it was heroin chic and when Mm -hmm. um in the early 2000s I think it was like anorexic you know looking Mm -hmm. like Ally McBeal um and then here in the last 10 years it's gone to like curvy and it's it's always changing and like whatever decade you're looking at it looks different which is ridiculous because women's bodies have always been variations it's always Mm -hmm. been different but you would never know that by looking at what is being portrayed in media and in magazines and social media. Now these days, you would never know that there was a variation. I had a client one time who was a preschool teacher and she said, I looked at my, the kids in my class and they're all three, four years old and they haven't been affected by this stuff yet. And you can look at them and see that there's all sorts of different bodies. Like there's mm-hmm. not one kind of body. So do we expect that to be any different as mm-hmm. adults? It's, mm-hmm. it's crazy. So you're, we, we try to get away from of the body being like an object at all, anyways, and just think of it as your home. This is where mm-hmm. you live, where you get to have experiences, and you can influence those experiences to some degree. It doesn't matter what it looks like; it, it matters what you're experiencing. You're happy. Mm-hmm. You're not obsessing. You're not binging. You're not you're not neglecting yourself, but you're also not obsessing over these things either. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a thing. It's it's just this this part of your life and part of your lifestyle.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I love that. So
0: kind of like switching over into talking about, you know, like your, your experience in raising a neurodivergent child. So you have four kids you said, right. Mm -hmm. And then the youngest one is diagnosed with autism. Could you tell us a little bit about Austin and just like what your experience has been like raising
1: him? Austin. Okay. So Austin is my first three kids come from my first marriage. Austin is mine and Tony's child together. And we knew that something was going on pretty early on because his speech was very delayed. He, he never had that thing that you hear about sometimes where you, they gain language and then they lose it. He just never really, he didn't say mama for the first time until he was 20 months old, which is Mm -hmm. they want them saying mama at like seven, eight months old. So it was really unusual. His speech was his speech has always been his biggest obstacle, um, his biggest difficulty speech. And what's it called? The when you take in language, I'll never come up with it. Oh, yeah, I'm so bad at <laughs> receptive, like, receptive. Language. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I found out that that's an ADHD thing, by the way, not being able to come oh. up with the word that you want. I was like, oh, yes, yeah. I have a, I have a reason now. So it was. Obvious that something was going on. We took him to get evaluated when he was two years and 10 months old, or wait, no, 18 months old, and by the state of Texas. And they told us at that point that they thought that he was autistic, he was probably autistic. My reaction to that was shock. I mean, since then I look back and I'm like, how could I have not seen all the neurodivergence in my family? Like now I'm just like, yeah, you're definitely neurodivergent. You are definitely looking at my family tree and going, okay, this all makes sense now. And that was just, I feel like that was just the beginning of this cascade, this domino effect where all of us kind of woke up to like, oh, this is why we're like this. And also this is why we're all attracted to each other and like to be Mm -hmm. around each other because neurodiverse people relate to each other. We think that Tony is probably somewhere on the autism spectrum. So at the time though, it was total shock and disbelief and You know, I hate saying this now, but I also don't want to sugarcoat it any different than what it is. But I was grieving. I was grieving like my life, what I thought it was going to be versus what it was going, what I was now imagining it to be, which hasn't been anything like I imagined, anyways. I didn't know anyone who could help me through that either. And so I just felt very lost. And Tony and I reacted totally different to differently to the news He was like this is fine we're not going to talk about this we're just going to pretend like everything that's how he deals with things is like mm-hmm. very studious and I was very like I have to research everything I have to know every possible scenario I need to know everything about autism and so we were very different and so we kind of like didn't deal with that well as a couple mm-hmm. so we he got help through our city and he got early intervention, which really was amazing speech and OT. And he's nine years old now. And he's awesome. Like I'm not the point now where I just like would never, I would never wish for him to be neurotypical, especially Mm. now that I know that none of us are, I think there's so many great things about it. We have very specific challenges with him. He struggles in school a lot We're constantly, I, I, we know for sure that we're going to pull him out of school before middle school, just because Mm. I just, don't, I think that would be a traumatic experience for him, but he struggles in school and he struggles with the type of learning that they are capable of doing at public school, but he's an awesome little sweet kid and just so lovable and so great. And just such a amazing, I would not, I wouldn't change one thing about him, Yeah. except yeah. for the, the times that he hit, <laughs> like, yeah, I, could deal, I could deal with without that, but we're figuring yeah. that out. So it's gotten yeah. so much better.
0: Yeah. When you mentioned, you know, planning on pulling him out before middle school, is that because like a a concern about
1: bullying or something else? It's definitely bull. Like the concern is definitely about bullying from what my older kids have told me about going through the public schools. They're like, you do not want him to be there. I don't think Mm -hmm. that he can handle it. He's already struggling because he is very sensitive to environment. Mm -hmm. Right, lights, loud noise, kids running and and uh, screaming is like, he cannot deal with that. His nervous system cannot handle mm-hmm. it. So he's already, we've, we've gotten it to where he's in an environment now where it's a little bit more quiet, but he still just really struggles with that. And when his nervous system is on, that's when he's aggressive. And when he's mm-hmm. has tendency to have meltdowns and stuff. Again, these things have gotten exponentially better as he's gotten older and we figured out what to do. Like we started sending him to school with loop earplugs. So yeah. he has, do you have, have you heard of those?
0: I've heard of that. I've been wanting to buy them for myself, actually. Girl, but yeah. I
1: take them from him all the time and use mm-hmm. them in grocery stores. They are magical because mm-hmm. it just blocks out all that noise that makes our, our, our brain go crazy. Um, so that has really helped him. So we've, we're figuring things out, but yeah, I'm concerned about bullying. I'm because He's, mm-hmm. he's very unique and very different. And I want, I don't want him to be traumatized because of that. I want yeah. him to be celebrated because of that. And I just can't guarantee that that would happen in public school. Mm-hmm. So how old was he when you guys had him evaluated and diagnosed with autism? He was two years and 10 oh, months right. old. Yeah, okay. he was. And, and that was, you know, through the school and the school uh, gave us their evaluation to get him his services when he was almost three.
0: Okay. You mentioned that like Tony uh, struggled a little bit with that as far as like not maybe not wanting to acknowledge it directly in the beginning, but like does he is he able to see himself in Austin now? It's kind of like oh I did that when I was
1: a kid. Yes, it's so helpful too because now Mm -hmm. we Austin's big his big struggle to overcome is communication. So we have a hard time. That's one of the reasons why he does have like meltdowns and aggression is because he gets so frustrated that he can't say what he's thinking. And so Tony, a lot of the time can say like, I was just like that when I was his I really didn't start to like be able to, to comprehend reading when I, until I was 18 years old, or I really um, didn't want to be around other kids. Like I wanted mm-hmm. to be alone. So like my, me and my daughters seem Austin, like pulling himself away and not sitting with other kids. And we're like, Oh my God, it's so sad. Yeah. But Tony's like, no, I loved that when I was a child. Mm -hmm. So that's like, it's so helpful to have that perspective. And like I said, the more that we researched autism, the more we were like, oh, that's a neurodiverse trait because I do that and I do this and I do that. And that's how we eventually all figured out for ourselves. Um, I got my 16 year old daughter diagnosed with ADHD as well. just not that long ago, because these things all like emotional regulation was something I just Mm -hmm. always thought I was sensitive Mm -hmm. um like I always thought I was super sensitive I don't know if you've experienced that I thought I was just a sensitive person and it turns out that's the way that my brain works
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah my my husband is the same way it's just kind of why I asked that is he also believes he's on the spectrum somewhere and so when I'm worried about Riley, he'll say, oh, no, I did that when I was little. Or, oh, I yeah. was like that when I was little. And I just told him the other day, I was like, if he turns out like you, I'm fine. Like, I'm good. You could take. Yeah. Care. I just wanted to be able to be happy, healthy, safe, be able to take care of himself. Yeah. You know, because we always think about what happens when I'm not here. So, yes, like, he could be quirky all day, every day. Who cares? Yes. Like, I really don't care. Um, right. It's more, I just want him to be healthy, happy, yeah. safe. Independent as much as possible just because you know we do think about like bullying, being taken advantage of, being convinced to do things that that they right. shouldn't do. So, uh-huh.
1: yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the big fear. I, and I think mm-hmm. at first it started I mean, I think that the universe, God gave me what I needed because I have like my whole body image struggle started because I wanted to fit in with people so much. And I wanted to go with the flow and be normal. Like I just always wanted to be normal. Mm -hmm. And so here I get this great, amazing kid who is not normal, you know, typical Mm -hmm. at all. And like, I love that. Like that's my favorite thing about him is all the Mm -hmm. like funny quirky stuff that he does the way he gets obsessed with like, What's the weather gonna be today? Or like mm-hmm. the, the the funny little things that he does. And it's been so great because my first my first reaction was like, Oh, I wish he was gonna be like a normal kid. And now mm-hmm. I like I've it's been so helpful to me personally. It's been such a great self awareness and self growth experience for me as mm-hmm. a human being.
0: Yeah. Well, I think, like, in the more moms that I talk to, I think that our kids, you know, our neuro- neurodivergent kids are showing us a lot about our own neurodivergence because a lot of us are getting diagnosed, it seems like, especially as us, us women, like, us moms of neurodivergent kids, I feel like I'm talking to more and more that are being diagnosed with ADHD. And, I mean, it, it oh, there's always, like, a debate about it, but obviously, like, a lot of us believe there's a genetic component. So it's like yes. it makes sense that a lot of us also are neurodivergent. And so mm-hmm. I think it as hard it is as it is to kind of like reframe your whole life through that lens, like, oh I'm not weird or I'm not, like you said, sensitive. You know, I my brain works differently. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a cool thing in a way. I mean, it's, it's very a lot. healing.
1: It mm-hmm. is a lot. Mm-hmm. Very I think it's been a very healing thing like I felt a lot of emotions when I got diagnosed but the major emotion was like I felt like I could heal and, mm-hmm. and have compassion for myself for all those years And all what I thought were failures were just the way that I was built
0: mm-hmm. I, I think that that makes a lot of sense I think it kind of like opens the door for self-acceptance Mm. Because I think that there's a lot, I don't know about you, but for me, I experience a lot of shame and frustration with myself for those neurodivergent pieces, like Mm -hmm. the executive dysfunction and, you know, like starting tasks and completing tasks and like being obsessed with this and then dropping that and being obsessed with that. And it's like, you know, it, it's an opportunity to stop being ashamed of that and to start being like, okay, that's how my brain works, though. Like, that's, yeah that's what we do here <laughs> and, yeah. and not hating yourself for it. So
1: and like I always talk about uh, like in our podcast about how, when you're beating yourself up for something, you're not finding solutions. And now that I've stopped mm-hmm. beating myself up for things like I have always been ashamed that I didn't finish college. And mm. I have, al- that's always been such an embarrassing thing of mine. Cause like every, all of my friends have gone, my brother went, my parents went, I just couldn't do it. I hated it. It's and hard. it is. And it, mm-hmm. I, now that I, have understand myself I have the opportunity to find tools that help me and I have found tools and I signed back up I signed up for school like I'm going back to school now and I'm going to try it again because now I I know myself and I understand Mm -hmm. it and I know I feel like I know how to get past those struggles that I had before Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah there's so many
0: like because I was the same way like I went to so I went to a city college right out of high school. And that was just because my mom was like, you're going to go to school. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I had no interest. I went because I had to. And then I was able to transfer to one of our UC schools, which are like the, the competitive, like, I guess, like higher standard schools. And I was just not ready for it. Yeah. And I flunked out of school. And I didn't mm-hmm. talk about that for the longest time because I thought it meant there was something wrong with me. Yeah. thought it meant that I was just not up to par. And now looking back, like I realized like, a lot of it was just I didn't know how to be a student. Right. Like It's hard to be a student yeah. when you have a different brain. Um, it's hard to make yourself get up and go to class. It's hard to yeah. make yourself do your work. It's hard to make yourself ask the teacher a question and so there i'm sure there's so many kids in college now that you know would benefit from hearing like if it's hard for you it's not because you're not good enough for college Mm -hmm. it's because for some of us this is just really hard
1: yeah there's always a reason and it's not that there's something wrong with you I like, I don't even believe in like the term laziness or any of those things anymore. I always think that there's, there's a reason why this is happening to you. And it's not that there's something wrong with you. It's that you're just missing something. Mm -hmm. And I wish that that's something I wish I would have known when I was 20, you know, or 15 or Mm -hmm. 12. even.
0: Yeah. Some people can do things really easily. It doesn't mean that they don't struggle with other things, but it means it's just like, that's their thing that they're able to do. And I don't know. Yeah. I wish that for everybody like that, I guess that path towards like self-acceptance and forgiveness for not being perfect. Like we don't have to be perfect, you know? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So in your opinion, what are some of the biggest challenges moms experience in raising kids with special needs?
1: exhaustion like that's easy (laughs) you know it's Mm -hmm. exhausting I think that most of that exhaustion comes from the fact that our society is not set up for Mm -hmm. for us and for our kids and I feel like the majority of the mental energy that I spend is like trying to get my kid a fair education and trying to advocate for him and trying to explain like he's not misbehaving his nervous system is shutting down Mm -hmm and explaining my kids to, to other people who just don't get it and, and don't understand it. I think that's where the majority of the exhaustion comes from is the advocation part because they need mm-hmm. us. There's a clear path for neurotypical children laid out. My older three kids, they are neurodiverse like ADHD, but not nearly as extreme as Austin is. And so their path was straightforward. You send them to school. I didn't, I never had to talk to a teacher unless it was like they were, they were getting praised for their grades and, they went to call it. It was like no big deal. And then he comes along and there's no clear path. It's mm-hmm. like you have to learn about IEP meetings. You have to learn about what these things even mean that are going into his IEP. You have to learn about what rights are in school. Um, and I live in a great school district, one of the best in the country for special needs and special education. And yet, it's exhausting to me. I can't even imagine what it's like for somebody who doesn't live in the best school district for it. Mm -hmm. I've been lucky. We've had a lot of people on the way who have helped us advocate and God, that's such a a game changer. But I think that just the mental exhaustion is probably, it's just, it's not autopilot the way it is Mm -hmm. for a neurotypical path. It's very much like I have to figure out every single step of the way.
0: Mm Yeah. Yeah you guys are in Plano, Texas. That's, yes. that. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's good that you guys are in a good school district. And I think yes. it offers a lot of perspective that even though it's in a good, good school district, it's still a huge struggle.
1: Yeah. 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 Yeah, it is. It's, it's, I mean, it's just the little things like school, a, a neurotypical kid can go to school and have a substitute teacher and be mm-hmm. like, yeah, cool. My mm-hmm. kid, a meltdown because it's not yeah. his normal day. I know. Other kids can go to school and they can be like super flexible. Oh, we're going to watch a movie. My kid can't do that. He wants to know mm-hmm. why they're going to art because that gives him a sense of safety and stability. It's just those little things that you just don't think about that you have to yeah. learn how to navigate. Yeah. That
0: is such a, a huge stressor. Yeah. Like for example, my son like this morning, like he just did not want breakfast. Mm-hmm. And we all know, like, that's just not a great way to start the day, especially for a child. So I just kind of had to, like, I mean, obviously I'm not going to force him to eat, but he's in a general ed class now. So he can just have a snack whenever he wants, not like a special day class. It's much more accommodating. They're like, Oh, yes, we would like to give you a snack because we don't want you to be hangry. But in a, in a gen N class, they're not, I don't think so. I don't think they do snacks. So. Yeah, I've been kind of worried about that today. Like, is he going to make it to lunch? You know, to lunchtime, mm-hmm. and I only have so much control, and I, and I don't have that same access to communication. Like, the the gen ed teacher is not super approachable. Like, she doesn't do the whole like download of information back and forth. Yeah. So, I I didn't have an opportunity to tell him to tell her like, hey, he hasn't had breakfast, so if he starts getting, you know, cranky. That might be why. Yeah. <laughs> so I just yeah. have to hope that he had a good day.
1: Yeah. It's is hard. It's hard. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Mm-hmm. It's exhausting. I mean, that's and that's what the exhaustion comes from. Every time that you're trying to figure out these problems, it uses so much mental energy that you don't mm-hmm. have to put towards other things. Um, you're yeah. in like a state of reactivity all the time where you're reacting, putting out fires, and hopefully you can come to some sort of routine and some sort of normalcy, but it is not the same um, day to day. And I can say this with, from experience, it's not the same as raising, um, a kid who is not special needs. Mm
0: -hmm. I think that's a really good point is like the, the exhaustion comes from that almost like state of hypervigilance because it's not necessarily that you're constantly preparing for an IEP meeting or running around or, dealing with aggressive behavior, is just like, it's something that people don't understand. And, you know, my husband's an amazing person, but he doesn't understand. This is like, he thinks like when I'm home during the week, because I'm a stay at home mom, that that's time for me to relax. (laughs) I'm just like, (laughs) I'm not relaxing. Trust me. Like this is, does not feel like free time to me. I am constantly I'm the type of person, like, if I could chuck my phone out the window and never have one again, I, I would be very tempted. So, like, yeah. the fact that I have to be hooked to my phone and even have the ringer on yes, just so I can be prepared to get a phone call, wondering how he's doing. Like, oh, no, I'm tired. I kind of want to take a nap. But what if I get a call and I don't wake mm. up? You know what I mean? Like, it's yes. not – there's not a state of rest. It's a state of, like, constantly being prepared
1: I mean that's it. That's exactly what mm-hmm. it is. And so you're in fight or flight a lot. I know that like I had to set my phone up to where only the school is allowed to get through when I'm at work oh. because that way mm-hmm. if the phone rings, I know it's them. <laughs> like that's, that's a good. It. It's them. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that because every time the phone was ringing, I was like, oh, what did, what yes. happened? What happened? Yes. So and you just never know. We get phone calls two, three times a week sometimes, and mm-hmm. um, you never know what it is. Sometimes it's like. He has a tummy ache and he just wants to talk to you, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Or, but a lot of the times, like there's a major problem and you need to come up here. So mm-hmm. it's exhausting. It is exhausting.
0: I didn't know that that was like a thing you could do with your phone though, because that's awesome.
1: Yeah. So I have, about
0: spam calls and.
1: Yes, stuff like I use that. the. I don't know if you have an iPhone, but I use the focus uh, setting, and I set it mm-hmm. where only certain contacts can get through, and so it's my kids and the school. That's it during the day.
0: Okay. I have an Android, but I wonder if there's like a setting like that.
1: There's got to be, there's got to be that can do that. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a good strategy for <laughs>
0: taking care strategies. of yourself a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I guess like with that exhaustion and, and just with raising, you know, you have four kids, which is a lot, a lot of times moms will talk about like just getting lost in motherhood and mm-hmm. losing themselves as in their identities. And especially with moms with kids with special needs, you know, we find ourselves kind of losing track of ourselves. Have you experienced that as a mom?
1: Oh God. Yes. My first three kids, that was my entire motherhood experience was like, I mean, I was so extreme about it too, because I was working. I I owned a different business when my older three kids were little. um, And, I felt like I needed to be there for them during the day. And so I would just work at night. So I was like mm. on as a mom all day, going to school, volunteering, being with them, um, playing with them, all that stuff. And then working at nighttime and just burning myself out into the ground and exhausted, like self-care. I didn't even know what self-care was. It was not mm-hmm. a thing. If it, if anything, it looked like, you know, diet culture stuff, because I was mm-hmm. trying to Force my body to change because I was insecure about my body. So if it was self care, it wasn't really about caring for me. It was about controlling my body. Mm -hmm. That didn't really happen. So after I met Tony, and we started healing, and we had our son, I knew that it couldn't be like that. And especially when he was diagnosed, like when we were clear that something was wrong, he like also didn't sleep the first year of his life, like Mm -hmm. just sleep was not a thing. And thank God that has resolved itself kids really struggle with sleep, but um, Mm -hmm. first year of his life, didn't sleep. I knew that it couldn't be that way again. And I was starting to heal and learn about how I needed to prioritize myself. And so it was a different experience. I, I made my care the first priority above everything else, even with, and that was back when all the kids were at home, two of them are gone now. And it felt at first kind of selfish, but then I saw pretty fast that it made me a better mom. I mean, I, I, not to like put any kind of judgment on it, but I was so much more present and I was enjoying motherhood for the Mm -hmm. first time. I did not enjoy it. Of course I didn't. I was exhausted, you know, the Mm -hmm. first three times. I just felt like I was in survival mode all the time versus actually thriving once Mm -hmm. he got here. And I'm so grateful myself and whatever powers that be that that happens, because I really believe that I would not be able to handle a lot of the stuff that we go through the hyper and the mm-hmm. calls from the school and the um, doctors and the therapy and all the stuff that goes wrong with having an autistic child. I don't think I could handle it if I wasn't doing that. And it's been a huge shift for me and very counterintuitive to what I thought motherhood should be growing up um, and not the model that I was shown either but it has been a game changer and so because i'm rested and i can sleep and i set boundaries mm-hmm. and i meet my needs on a day to day basis i am much more present with all the kids i'm much more kind <laughs> mm-hmm. i think my oldest my oldest kids now are like you were their memory mm-hmm. of me was like anger and short temper mm-hmm. and exhausted and laying on the couch and falling asleep when, when they wanted to play with me and now they're like you're so different now like mm-hmm. they just have they have a totally different experience of me and it's nice to have those older kids just you know this is what we wanted and mm-hmm. this is what we're glad to have now but just most importantly i'm able to enjoy motherhood again
0: mm-hmm. yeah i i would think that like Starting that process could be like, how the how the heck do I do that? You know, because I feel like that. I guess that self direction towards like self care and making yourself a priority doesn't seem to be innate once you become mm-hmm. a mom because yeah. you don't ever really think of yourself first. Like everything yeah. is always built around your kids. Yeah. So if you're working with a mom who like desperately needs to make herself
1: a priority. How do you teach her how to do that? The fir- I mean, unfortunately, because we every single one of us deserves to have a good experience every step of our life. Right? We, we all deserve it. But for somebody who is just. This is a totally new concept to them, and they're really fearful of this. I have to put it to them like this is actually what's better for your kid because it mm-hmm. is. Mm -hmm. And I have the example of my kids saying, I wish you would have been like, like more relaxed, like the way you are now when we were little. So I think that that just understanding that, and not doing that in a way that like, you're beating yourself up, or you're guilt tripping yourself about it, just like understanding that you're actually doing your kids a favor by, Mm -hmm. by practice self care and putting yourself first, and just managing things a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And I'm ADHD, managing things is like, really hard for me. Yeah. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. also, my brain looks like works like an algorithm. So I once I start to do stuff like it also sticks. So it's been a work in progress over the years. And I'm always tweaking it. But I think, you know, for somebody just getting started. It's just understanding that this is going to benefit everyone, not just you. It's not selfish. It's, it's really selfless. You're a human being who deserves to have your needs met all of them. Mm And I think that there's just some simple things that you doesn't have to be like, Oh, all of a sudden I'm going to go to the spa all day while my kids sit at home with a babysitter. Like it's not that either. It's just little tweaks and making sure that you have some time to yourself every day and that you're on the priority list with your kids. Mm -hmm. Like you're Mm -hmm. eating, you're Mm -hmm. peeing like, you know Mm -hmm. how many moms don't pee because they are too busy with their kids. Tony has been great. He's part of the reason why I've been able to do this is, he's been so supportive. Um, so Saturday is my day off from parenting. I, mm-hmm. that's when I lay in bed and watch housewives and mm-hmm. with coffee, do my thing, go see my friends. And then Sunday is his day. And so we each have like a day with Austin. So I have Sundays with Austin where we go and we, um, we go out together. Same thing with my daughter who still lives here. And, um, Tony does that on Saturday. So we get the benefit of like having some Mm one-on-one time with our kid, but we also each get a day off and that just that one small thing was huge. Like just the Mm -hmm. chance to recharge and have no responsibilities and do what I want to do. It makes it so much easier to go into each week facing IEP meetings and phone Mm -hmm. calls and all Mm -hmm.
0: that. Yeah. I think something that you mentioned that's really important that I think moms have a hard time with is boundaries, like setting boundaries and, and even just starting with believing that you deserve to have boundaries. So a lot of us don't believe that we deserve to have boundaries or to mm-hmm. set boundaries. And then we become moms and we're like, well, I super don't deserve to have boundaries now <laughs> because exactly. it's my Exactly. Yeah. So that's a huge one. It's just like carving out time for yourself and asserting that and then also not feeling bad for it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And I've been I've been a mom through the early 2000s to today. Like and so Mm -hmm. I've watched this evolution of especially like when the Internet first came about of like, martyr parenting online, mm. where you are expected to be at your child's beck and call. And it's just, I think it's really changed our expectations of what we're supposed to be as moms is having it all be online for social media to see and We put so much more pressure on ourselves. It's just not realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, parenthood is meant to be a community thing where we have help and we have breaks and we have other people in our lives who help us raise our children. We're not supposed to be every Thing to each of our children—that's mm-hmm. just not mentally sustainable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's really interesting that you've been able to like watch that evolve over time. Yeah. And I think that I don't know. This is just me, my personal opinion, but I feel like there needs to be more acknowledgement that being a mom is singular. Like. Yeah. It is so different. I've never been a dad, but I've observed enough to know it's not (laughs) the same to be a mom as it is to be a dad. There's so much pressure and so much stuff that we take on. And I've noticed because I I run a support group for moms. of. It started out as moms of autistic kids in my area. And now I expanded it for moms of neurodivergent children. And I've noticed over, like, the five years that I've been doing this is that every once in a while there's this huge push for, like, why can't men be involved? And it usually comes from men. You know, why Mm -hmm. can't men be involved? Mm -hmm. And so I think that there needs to be more acknowledgement from everybody, adults, male and female, that, like, moms need, desperately need their own stuff their own space they need to be able to have boundaries they need to be understood and empathized with because i think that's why a huge part of why moms struggle so much with their mental health is because no one will just i feel like people think we just whine all the time about how hard it is to be a mom and we're not whining we're just telling the truth like it's really hard to be a mom
1: it is. The expectations yeah. are absolutely ridiculous. And that's tied mm-hmm. into the expectations of women and the cages mm-hmm. that were put in and the 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 ridiculous expectations on us. And I know that there's different expectations on men for different things, mm-hmm. um, but this is very specific to women and motherhood. And I mean, mm-hmm. it just goes very deep with the issues that we're having. And that includes the body image stuff and the diet culture mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. Clues motherhood. That's a big conversation that we have in our program with my clients is it's all wrapped up together. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. like perfection uh, expectations that we have that have been perpetuated over and over again on social media and oh, yeah. the internet over the years.
0: Mm-hmm. It's off topic, but that one kind of kicks my butt a little bit is like the thing that men get to like age and still be gorgeous. And like, yeah. when women age, we're not like gorgeous yeah. anymore. Right, it's really sad, but we're, like appear. it's so weird. It feels like that's p- almost like built in us to like, you know, these like male celebrities get older, and we're just like, oh wow, like you're just mm-hmm. s- still look so amazing. But then the women get older, and it's like you said, like they just yeah, I kind of like
1: on it's the very. Side. It's uh, it's like J Lo is gets praised for still looking yes. like she's five. Like it, yeah. I don't think it's like blatant all the time, but it's stuff uh-huh. like that. Or Martha Stewart right now is like, right. because she's on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Everybody's like, she looks so good for eighty-one. I'm like, it'll impress me when you show somebody on the cover of Sports Illustrated that actually looks eighty-one. You know right. that will that that breaks that that standard, breaks that stereotype. So I don't know. Well, there
0: was someone that came out like recently on a. A something like they showed a celebrity who's allowed themselves to age naturally. And people were like, Whoa, she looks horrible. Justine She's like Bateman. Is that who it was? Yes. And I loved it. Okay. I loved it. But she just lo- let herself age naturally. She's like, no, this is what you look like when you're 52 yeah. or whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. I think it's, it's and crazy. that's my approach too. I told my, the women, because most of the women uh, that I work with are, we're dealing with those same kind of things. And I always tell them I'm trying to approach aging the same way that I approached getting older when I was a kid, like, Ooh, mm-hmm. I'm getting new wrinkles. This is exciting. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. look, and, and just taking a different approach to it. And it's hard because you've been shown the commercials about don't lie about your age since you were like, you know, five mm-hmm. years old, defy it and Botox and all that stuff. So it's, mm-hmm. it's just all wrapped up in these ridiculous expectations that they've placed upon us. And it's hard to go against the grain. We're wired not to, We're hardwired not to, but our experience in life will be so much better if we do.
0: Yeah. Well, I feel like those first people that go against the grain, like you said, Justine Bateman, like those are the people that, like, they have the honor of of paving the way, but they also have to take all the at first all that stuff on. So she. You know, like if she, if that continued, like someone 10 years from now might get praise for it, but she kind of had to endure a lot to like be the person who started that. Maybe that's why people are afraid to just Mm -hmm. be that first person. Yeah. Whatever.
1: It's definitely easier.
0: Yeah. I was saying maybe that's also why women, like it's such a sensitive topic. Like don't ask the age because it's like this, this thing when it comes to
1: women. Don't Mm -hmm. talk about your age. Yeah. It's always yeah. been a thing. And that's what, always mm-hmm. what I was like. It's rude to ask how old, like Austin's favorite thing to do is ask people how old they are. Yeah. And at, at first when he would ask people, I'd be like, Oh no, <laughs> like, you know, uh-huh. printing inside. I'm trying to get away from that as being a bad thing. Like, I think that you should be proud of it as, as a woman. I think that that's what we should be working towards. If we want to feel empowered as we age. Yeah. Well, I think I had
0: seen or heard someone say this recently where it was like, I guess, however you look at it, wherever your perspective comes from, it's a gift to, to continue to live.
1: So it's like, yeah,
0: I don't love my wrinkles or yeah, this or yeah, that, but like I get to still be here. Yeah,
1: exactly. The alternative to aging is to not age and that's right. Like that's not what I want. So yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Well, before I let you go, like what is your business information and how can people find you online?
1: Um, I would love for you guys to watch. We have a free training that we explain what we're all about and we share our process of healing your relationship with food, body, exercise, and mind. And so if they go to builtdaily.com slash rad, so I set up a redirect for your audience so that they can go uh, directly to the training. So builtdaily.com slash rad you can listen to our podcast, fitness and sushi. We, my husband and I talk about all sorts of things that have to do with healing those relationships. And if you are a mom who is ready to get out of debt and take care of herself in that way, like that's the best thing that you can do for yourself is to set yourself free of all that crap. Then definitely go check that out.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with me. I really enjoyed it. I did too. Thank you so much for joining me this week for another episode of Rad Mom Radio. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. If you would like to get in contact with me, you can always send me an email. My email address is radmomradio at gmail.com. And you can also find me on Instagram at radmomradio. Have a great week and I will talk to you soon. Bye.